This is Strange Assembly, episode 125, The Horror. An Eldritch Horror, that is. Was That's going to be one of the several games that we talk about today. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here today is Jay Earl. Hello. And Mike Cook. Hey. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. Today, we're just going to do a little bit of general gaming, talk about some things that we've played recently. I will lead off. I recently played a uh, and a game called Snap for the first time. It's from 1866, and yeah, it's really terrible. Don't do that, even if your kid gets a copy of it for free at the library. But moving on, Eldritch Horror, I think, was one of the the big releases from the end of 2013 from Fantasy Flight and and Richard Launius, right, Mike? Yep. So uh, this is a set Cthulhu Mythos, draws obvious comparisons to Arkham Horror. Tell us about that. It does definitely have some mechanics that are kind of like Arkham Horror, but is kind of Fantasy Flight's want. They have taken a lot of mechanics that have worked well from other games, but it still distinctively feels like Arkham, uh, like an Arkham game. Instead of being a mansion, which is one of, uh, is the Mansions of Madness game, or being the city of Arkham with maybe like, you know, a train to another city. So it's just, you know, in one town. This is a worldwide game, and the map is actually of the world. So when you're traveling, you're actually not, tra- you know, not traveling between stores or between rooms. You're actually traveling between cities. And as you often do with these games, well, as you always do with these games, the old ones are starting to invade, and you have to figure out some way to stop them from doing so mainly by collecting clues, going and closing gates that are open to the outer realms and collecting enough stuff and solving enough mysteries to uh, actually stop them from coming in for for a while. Jinkies. Basically, yes. <laughs> With tentacles, yes. Yeah, I, I have to say, I I am not personally a somebody who's really big into the whole Cthulhu mythos thing. I know there are some people for whom that is the most amazing, awesome thing in the world. But I do really like all the the flavor text that goes into these cards. I, I really like when you're playing the game and you know you flip up to see what happens when you go into the you know into the portal instead of just reading the mechanical text of oh, you make a this text or you make a that text. I really like how there are these descriptions about meeting the gibbering whalers of some plane in the library and what thematically it is that this test is that this test represents what you're you're doing and like that the, the conditions that you get so you'll get like you might go into debt to be able to acquire something and you don't know what that debt is if you haven't gotten rid of it before the trigger happens you have to turn it over and figure out what happens and sometimes it's like they show up and try and beat you to... up right Sometimes they try and show up and beat you up. Sometimes uh, really bad things happen, because it's Cthulhu. (laughs) Getting beaten up, not really the worst possibility. (laughs) No. (laughs) Getting beaten up, probably the best possibility, actually. (laughs) Yes, it's it's a few wounds. I could just rest that off. It even goes so far that if your investigator gets beaten up too much, so he goes insane or dies, you get a new investigator, 
and you can go get your old investigator stuff, but you have to encounter your old investigator. That's right, you have to loot your own corpse. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I go insane, and then the next person comes, and you can try to make a check to sort of have have a prior character remember who she is, and then she can help pass on her wisdom or or whatever. But I, I feel like this says something about length and where I am with gaming right now is because the, there's the comparison to Arkham Horror, and this is supposed to be more straightforward and less fiddly and not nearly as long as Arkham Horror. And, it, you know, it's been a while since I played on Arkham Horror, and so my memory of Arkham Horror, Arkham Horror, it isn't an excessively long game. Like, oh, that was a long game, but it was a, a good, fun long game, whereas Eldritch Horror felt like it was relatively long. I mean, like, it felt long. Not that it wasn't fun, but just because of the different points in my life when I played the games, Eldritch Horror feels like it's a longer game to me, even though it's totally not. <laughs> I will say, um, I think there's two parts to this. I think Eldritch Horror would last about as long as a normal 3-4 player game of Arkham Horror base. The problem is, nobody plays Arkham Horror base, and there's like 50 expansions for that game. So it's huge, there's all the space, you might have six, seven, eight people there playing, and that's when it takes like four or five hours. I mean, Eldritch Horror probably, probably still takes like hour and a half, two hours, but I feel like that's pretty good for all the gaming that you get. I, I do I, I do agree with you, uh, um, I, I like games to be a little bit faster, but it's still it's still comfortable length for me. No, no, yeah, it did, it did not feel excessively long, but it certainly didn't feel short. Maybe, maybe right. So maybe my memory of Arkham 4 actually isn't that long, because... I think I only played with the base game. Well, and and also the thing in Arkham Horror is it really, to me, always felt like it could stagnate. Like, you'd be looking around trying to get something done, and you just couldn't get something done. That occasionally happens in Elder Sun, but there's usually always something you can do. And even if you can't do something, don't worry, the game's going to keep going, so it's going to end it for you one way or another. <laughs> yeah, I I think my my only real complaint about Eldritch Horror would be in the doing nothing category because I I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I, I think it's a reasonable argument to make that a game should never ever make you lose a turn. Because that kind of defeats the purpose. And there are fun. effects where Eldritor makes you effectively lose a turn. Oh yeah, well uh, and frequently I, I would say that it, once again I, I have two opinions on this. It's I think that the game generally with few enough player moves fast enough that it, it doesn't feel like that much that you're losing. But if you were to play in like a six or seven player game, uh, actually I don't even know how many players it supports. It's my game. Uh, six six or seven players seems unwise, regardless of what the size of right. the box says. <laughs> but, you know, the more players, the longer you're going to be sitting there not doing anything. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and then in the same vein, if, you, if you're in a location with a monster and you want to defeat the monster, because you get two actions, each player gets two actions, right? And then after everybody's taken their two actions, then you do your encounters, which is where you would have the chance to to actually defeat things that are on your space. If you start your turn on the space with the monster, such as, for example, you failed to defeat it last turn, and you need to hang around and do it again, you, again, if to some extent lose your turn, you can't move anywhere, and all the things you'd normally do while sitting there, like resting or whatever they call going shopping, right? 
you can't do when a monster is present. I wish there was, I wish I had something to do on my turn when I started at the same space as a monster and needed to finish there. I would kind of agree with that, and just to, to briefly go over, you know, you get two actions, but those two actions have to be different, and movement is one of those actions, moving between the cities. You can get tickets, you've got train tickets, and you've got sea uh, tickets. So when you move, you can spend those tickets to go extra spaces, but you have to spend them while you're moving. You can't, like, move out of the city, then rest because you're not with the monster anymore, and then spend the train ticket to move back. You can't do that. Not that it would be very efficient anyways, but at least it could be something that you would do. I do kind of agree with you. I'm not exactly sure why the mo- the monster's there, so the entire city shuts down. Like, you can't find any respite. You can't find a shop that's open. Nope, there's an open monster. Yeah, I, I generally thematically get the notion of it. Like, there's, you know, stuff going on with the city. You're not, you can't just go on with your humdrum daily activity. You have to deal with this mythos incursion. It's It's just a... The practicalities of it. Right. But that is Eldritch Horror from Fantasy Flight. Another game we've played recently is Firefly Out to the Black from Toy Vault. Now, this is different from Firefly the board game, which came out from, from Gale Force 9 last year. This is the one that the company put it up as a fake Kickstarter, as far as I can tell. It's unclear exactly what happened. There was a Kickstarter for this game, and then the Kickstarter got cancelled mysteriously, and there was never any real explanation for why it was cancelled or anything. Because we feel this is not the best way to publish this game, a.k.a. we've gotten our Kickstarter publicity. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And now you can just go to our website and pre-order it. Uh, But what about the game itself? Right. It's it's a co-op game, and it's... I mean, it, it very much gets you into the universe of, of Firefly, that you're, you're Jane, and I'm Mal, and so, so forth, and we're going out doing jobs to make money and try not to be too horrible of people while doing it. Yeah, right. It is, so it is fully co-op. Each person is a member of the Firefly's crew, so you're all together on the ship. You have it as a group, have a combined pool of credits and honor. And on players take turns being the, the leader of the mission. And you have to sort of, you find out what your mission is going to be. And then you can invite some number of the other players, depending on what the mission is. Some are single player missions, some are three player missions, whatever. You know what your base targets are. And then you have to play cards out of your hand, but everything is face down, so you definitely have to follow the no table talking rule, or else you may as well be playing with your hands face up. And then, what is it called? Is it misbehaving? What's? Oh no, wait, that's the other other firefly. Yes, you you go do jobs. Oh, Garamit, and... that's right. Yes, reveal a Garamit card. So yeah, you as a group, you have various jobs to do each one says how many people can actually go on it one two three four five and then the job will have target numbers you have three skills fighting flying and thinking and basically you have to match numbers on all of those and there's various complications cards that you can play to help cards that get played to hinder 
and then based on how successful you are at the job, you either gain or lose money and honor, and if you're really bad, you might get some alliance attention. And so basically, you win the game by beating all of the jobs. You lose the game by running out of money or honor or by getting too much alliance attention. But, uh, I mean, yeah, my feeling is, especially if you like the Firefly universe, it is a nice feel. It's a very flavorful game. You do feel very Firefly-y. Yeah, uh, when we played it, we had to play the three-player version where we were each doing two characters. Have you played it where you've had more players than that? I have not gotten to bring it out yet, no. Oh, I was going to say, because I feel like... Well, with all the winter storm and such. Well, fair enough. I feel like it'd probably play even better that way. Like, I enjoyed yeah. my time with it, but I feel like when you don't have... Because right, the when rules you're not get a little wonky. Choice. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you guys had enjoyed it so much. I kind of... I thought it was a little... Lackluster... If I wanted a Firefly kick, I'd, I'd much rather play the the Firefly the board game. Board game yeah. Well, but uh, th- this it plays a lot faster because that game I, it seems like it would always finish in like twenty to thirty minutes, and the the Firefly board game is about an hour, hour and a half. It's all way more bits. The Firefly board game is definitely longer than this, but I don't think that I, I think this is longer than a twenty minute or or half hour game. The manufacturer playing time is 45, and... Oh, well, I guess we did get killed pretty fast. <laughs> we won. Did we? Well, apparently my memory of this game oh, is not to be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we technically got killed in Eldritch Horror, except you cheated. Oh, yeah, twice. Two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyhow, that so that was Firefly, Out to the Black, designed by Ed Bryan and published by Toy Vault Inc. Oh, I forgot. I wanted to comment on the fact. Does anybody notice how apparently one of the ways to make your game feel Firefly-ish is to drop G's? Yeah, have all the 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 rule reading the rules. It felt very G shucks, feller. <laughs> anyhow, big city slicker. So. Now, something else that I know you picked up recently, Mike, I haven't gotten the chance to play, is the Escalation expansion for Eminent Domain from Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, What does that add to Eminent Domain? So, one of the main things that it adds is it adds more planets, it adds more technologies. Uh, For those who are not not familiar with Eminent Domain, it is a uh, deck builder that it's fairly unique in that you have planets that you're trying to conquer. You're usually either colonizing or you're conquering with military ships. And whereas most games are solitaire, this has a little bit more interactivity because you get an action and a role, and there's giant stacks of the different actions you can... the different roles that you can take. They, they All the cards do both. They have an action, and uh, they have some kind of role that you do. So when you pick a role, you take that card and add it to the deck, and do whatever actions, and then everybody else gets to either follow, so if they have something that can also do that, they also get to do that on your turn. If they don't, they get to draw a card. Uh, so everybody gets something from that. So that that's the basic core of the game, and, and your basic deck is just, like, basically two of each of the different roles, with slight variation, but that's basically it. 
So one of the things that it adds is the technologies that you get. There's new technologies, including there's a new one planet permanent technology, but that it's not worth any victory points. But I thought that was kind of cool because they're all pretty good. There's one that's uh, it gives you two trade symbols permanently, but says you can use you can follow production with trade and trade with production. And that turns out to be pretty good. Yeah. There's new planets that you can use, and what it really adds... Oh, it adds five-player capability. gives you enough cards you can uh, add a fifth player. And then the thing that it really adds is it adds... They call them scenario cards, but really what they are is they're setup cards, so that you actually start with a different setup. Because normally, like most deck builders, the only difference that you have is what random planet you got dealt or picked or whatever. This time... Your decks will be wildly different, and normally what will happen is you'll start with one of the technologies you normally have to acquire during the game. You'll actually start with somewhere between one to three of them, then a lot of times a set planet, sometimes a random planet, and it will actually tell you what your deck is comprised of, rather than being like basically two of everything. It'll be like three of this, three of this, one of this, two of these, and nothing of anything else. So they're not even all the same size. My favorite one that was like that, there is a technology card that shuffles into your deck that says, as an action, add two roll cards to your hand. So you get a random planet, you get that card to start with, and you don't get anything else. Huh. So that's your entire start is, you know, it's like you don't have anything, but you can basically change it to be, you know, you can make your deck however you want to get it, because you're going to get that card the first three turns guaranteed, something like that. They're very, very different ways of starting. Oh, I'm sorry, and one other very important thing that it adds is, in the base game, you had three different sizes of ships, but it didn't mean anything. They literally told you it doesn't really mean anything. From how I understand it, they got it off, like, there was some big lot that they got that, you know, they just basically reused these ships from something else. They look great, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it actually adds something where, as an action, you can, they actually now count different ways, but they're not just different denominations. As an action, normally you can turn three of the small ones into the medium one, or two of the medium ones into one big one, and doing that is the action once. One of your options is you can spend three of the fighters, the, the small ones, to flip it to be, uh, when someone researches, you can spend three of them to flip the card that tells you how you can exchange those, because it's a new card in the in the game, and you get a better rate. So you get two of the fighters goes into one of the medium, and you can do that any number of times you want as an action. I, I think it's still two of them go into a battle cruiser, but the battle cruiser is that you know it's the big ship. It's worth two victory points. It reduces all your military costs by two, and um, you can use it instead of any other military cost that you might have. And some of the technologies actually can also be purchased, like in the stacks of cards, can also be purchased with uh, either the fighters or the medium-sized ships, or even there's, I think there's one that can be purchased with the battleship. So none of it's really that much more complicated than Eminent Domain if you've played Eminent Domain before, but just the starting scenarios, there's, it, it's just so fun. It, it's one of those things of, oh wow, this is completely different from how I normally play it, and I have a reason to be really military, or I have a reason to just, you know, I can go really crazy because I've got this one card that lets me add all these other cards, but I don't start with anything else. So, I don't know, I, I loved it, because uh, I liked Eminent Domain, but this really set it over the top. We played it basically all day Sunday, 
because we were just doing game after game after game, just getting different scenarios, and it felt like a different, you know, same game, but really different every single time. Okay. That was the Escalation expansion for Eminent Domain from Tasty Minstrel Games. I think the uh, the last thing we were going to talk about today is Gravwell, designed by Corey Young from Cryptozoic Entertainment. This actually, along with Eldritch Horror, was one of the other games from 2013 that I had not yet gotten uh, the chance to play that I wanted to. It, I think, was out at least being demoed at Gen Con, but it did not hit stores until December. It's a very unique game. Each player is a ship, and over the course of the game, you are trying to get from the singularity in the center of the board out to a far enough distance that you can actually escape. Um, I'm just going to be obnoxious and note out that you really should not be starting in the singularity because then you can't get out. That's the whole point, but whatever. And the way that you move is that each of the players simultaneously reveals a card from their hand where you select, put them face down, and then you reveal them simultaneously. And the name on the card will tell you which one goes first. And each of the cards does a different things. And the way you move is by pushing and pulling yourself or other ships. So the standard movement cards move you towards the closest thing. And then there's a smaller selection that move you away from the closest thing. And then there's ones that pull everything towards you. And then once per round, once per hand, you can do a full stop when you realize that you've horribly, horribly botched because you never really know exactly how you're going to be moving because you don't know which order you're going to be going in. And so if there's a ship that's ahead of you and it's the closest, you might play a big pull towards them number in hopes that you can slingshot past them. And then something happens that the guy behind you moves a little bit closer and all of a sudden you're about to be slingshotting back nine spaces. And so you want to be full stop. No, but you're only going to do that once per hand. I thought it was enjoyable and it's definitely a different sort of mechanic. I can't think of anything else that, that works like that. Can you guys? No, I mean, there are other racing games, but nothing quite like that. Nothing that's relational like that. Well, I have to say, when you describe it as a racing game, I'm not sure I agree with that, but if I think of it as a racing game, it seems much lamer. <laughs> Spaceships doing gravity manipulation much cooler. Racing is fine. Oh, yeah, but physics is awesome. Uh, turns out racing is part of physics. <laughs> I don't know, Jay, uh, you've played this. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it definitely takes a while to really get your head around how it works. I think it was only near the end that I was like, oh, I want to play this card because it'll actually help me, rather than just, <laughs> I like this card. Yeah, the, the concept is pretty straightforward, but there, it's definitely easy to be like, okay, so if I play this, that, wait, which way does this push me or pull me, and who am I closest to, and if he moves there, is that going to completely destroy everything? It actually could have a relatively high AP or, or brain burn potential for something that is, at its core, such a straightforward mechanic. Anyhow, that is Gravwell Escape from the Ninth Dimension by Corey Young and from Cryptozoic Entertainment. Well, I think that was all the, the specific games that we had uh, 
lined up to talk about for today. Any parting thoughts, gentlemen? Exciting things you're looking forward to? I got the expansion to Core Worlds, which I cannot remember its name. For uh, mentioning games that we have that we have yet to play, I'm really looking forward to. I got uh, this week the Space Cadets Dice Duel, oh, which should be hilarious. That. Haven't you played that? I played it at Gen Con. I now have my own copy, so I can play it with my idiot friends and laugh when they do horribly stupid things. <laughs> Uh, if we want to talk about games we have but have not gotten to play yet, I still have not yet been able to play the copy of Android I bought on the <laughs> Fantasy Flight Winter Sale in 2012. <laughs> Good luck. Well, just just wait until Mike Game- dies, and that will be his hell is playing it with you. <laughs> Basically. Well, you, can't, you take it to one of the, the SAG or whatever that place is. Swag. Swag. Swag, swag, swag. Oh, no, no, no nobody is on. going to sit down the and play an hour game. No, probably not. <laughs> oh, sorry, so I got Core Worlds Galactic Orders, which is the expansion of Core Worlds. I haven't gotten to play it, but I've read through the rules and looked through some of the cards, and it looks like it's going to add a lot. So I'm excited to try that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to playing that. I really liked, I really liked Core Worlds, and the, the Galactic Orders expansion is supposed to be really good. So, I think that's all we're going to do for today. Thanks for listening to Strange Assembly. You can check out more of us by visiting us at strangeassembly.com or subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. You can also chat with us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. Or by yelling brain burn really loudly. In in Chris's house. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm I'm always happy to hear feedback. So you can also email me at chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop. Rainburn. It seemed like there was an all, a relatively high brain burn potential for something that is at its core. For something that is at its core. <laughs> Benjamin is now running around going, brain burn. For something that is at its core, a, a I think you might have a new episode title. Benjamin, could you let Daddy finish the sentence? Yeah, interrupting is our job. <laughs> right, that's why we have microphones. <laughs> Can we get buzzers? <laughs> no. Yes, go tell mommy about the brain burn. <laughs>